You know, whatever people who run big companies have a problem in that the people in the middle will do um, anything to meet the metrics of the of the corporation, even if that's bad for the company. It's like teachers teaching to the test because of no child left behind. Same phenomenon. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer today on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen. I'm Craig Williams from a sunny and warm Southern California, and Bob, a happy St. David's Day to you. <laughs> and a happy St. Patrick's Day to you from from Massachusetts, where I'm broadcasting from. And uh, I write the blog Law Sites and also the blog Media Law, Craig. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court and a have a book out called How to Get Sued. We're going to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com forward slash law and Clio, a web-based practice management program for lawyers at goclio.com. Well, uh, it seems that there has been uh, an overwhelming reaction across the United States to political gridlock in Washington, D.C., uh, we certainly know that well here in Massachusetts, where uh, our long, uh, sacred Democratic seat in the Senate uh, uh, is now a Republican seat. Um, the majority of the general public is frustrated, impatient, and unhappy, uh, or so they say, and could potentially take out their anger in the approaching midterm elections. So the question is, uh, is Washington broken, and why can't? All the lawyers in government do something about it. Well, the battle over health care reform, the power of Wall Street, lack of jobs, Congress is at, at odds with each other. And, and as you said, Washington, D.C. is populated with lawyers. In fact, it's the majority of, of the people that are in Congress. And they specialize in fixing broken systems. Uh, aren't lawyers really the masters of negotiation? So what's really wrong here? And to help us answer that question, our guest today is attorney Philip K. Howard. He is a well-known leader of legal reform in America. He advises leaders of both parties on legal and regulatory reform issues and wrote the introduction to Vice President Al Gore's book, Common Sense Government. He's a practicing lawyer and a partner in the law firm of Covington and & Burling. And in 2002, he founded Common Good, a national bipartisan coalition organized to restore common sense to American Public Life. He is the author of Life Without Lawyers from Norton in 2009 and a periodic contributor to the op-ed pages of the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, among others. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Philip Howard. Uh, nice to be with you. Let's start out with uh, kind of identifying the real problem here. What's causing this logjam? Well, I actually think it has a... I don't think it's because we have people that have genetic flaws that we elected to government. Somehow the people today are worse than they were 30 years ago or 100 years ago, uh, I think it's a structural problem. I think that uh, there's been such an accretion of law. I actually had someone count all the words of federal law at one point. It's over 100 million words of binding federal law and regulations. And to change any one of those bolts, your legal bolts, you have to get a majority of Congress. And each one of them has a special interest group around them. And 
you know, you see it in this proposed health care bill that that they couldn't actually go back and rethink some of the entitlements, not to take them away, but just to adjust them, for example, to give incentives for patients to be more prudent in their health care expenses would be one example. They don't do that because the special interests are so terrified that they'll lose out, that they fight, you know, they use all of their political ammo to prevent change from happening. And so that happens with everything, with every any proposal. And so as a result, you get you get stasis. Philip, you're a lawyer. Craig and I are lawyers. A number of our listeners are lawyers. Uh, where do lawyers fit into this picture in Washington? Are they part of the problem or part of the solution? Well, both, I think. I, you know, I think um, my problem with Washington is not that they're it's not that it's inhabited with lawyers. It's it's inhabited with with people who spent their whole lives or old professional lives in a in a city that hasn't really made any significant legal changes since the 1960s. So you know nobody in power has ever really seen anything significant happen. I mean, you could make a, you could say well maybe the getting rid of welfare or something. with welfare reform was significant. But, you know, so you have all these people who assume that nothing can change. So I think more the problem is the culture of of a government where not much can happen rather than the fact that it's populated by lawyers. Well, is there a, is it the American public? I mean, what what is it that, that people in, uh, in the rest of the country should be doing and telling their legislators to do to solve this problem? Well, I think there's a, I think we need to shift our goals. Um, and so I think uh, you know, I'm out trying to organize coalitions for fundamental changes in in structure, because to me, the the idea the the question is not how do you fix healthcare, is it how do you restore the conditions under which individuals involved in healthcare take personal responsibility for you know for for their prudent use of the healthcare resources, and that. It requires realigning incentives and changing, changing the way certain entitlements work and such. Um, and we don't we don't even have a debate about that occurring at the moment. So, uh, you know, I think I think there's going to have to be a new movement created. I'm thinking about trying to get people together to start one based on the using individual responsibility as the uh, litmus test for evaluating old laws. And putting pressure on Congress or people, members of Congress not to go in and talk about making new laws, but to see their job as making sense of the old laws. Well, let's talk more about health care because your organization has proposed uh, or is supporting uh reforms in terms of the medical liability system. Right. Uh, are you proposing uh, a, a medical malpractice reform in the way we traditionally think about it or something different? Well, we're, um, we have a coalition uh, with the, the, the Common Good. By the way, it's commongood.org. Now, it used to be seagood.org. Now it's commongood.org. Uh, we're in a joint venture with the Harvard School of Public Health um, and have been for five years to to. Th- to figure out how to create a system of justice for health care that would uh, that would align incentives for safer care uh, and and try to avoid the cost of defensive medicine and basically what we've come up with and almost everyone in healthcare now is on board with this uh, is 
is create the idea of creating uh, an administrative compensation system, basically special health courts. It'd be a version of workers' comp, but it would be for for li- for malpractice liability, where you would have uh, administrative judges, no juries. They'd be advised by neutral experts. They'd have to write written opinions on standards of care, and it was a, it would aspire toward consistency and reliability. Whereas the jury by jury system is, is usually comes out with the right result, I mean, at least three quarters of the time, according to studies. But it doesn't aspire to consistency. So you you can have a tragic situation where the doctor did nothing wrong where the expected payout is still many millions of dollars because the system responds more to tragedy than it does to error. So we would, our goal is to restore a system that's trustworthy in terms of its reliability to sort the good care from bad care. And as I said, pretty much everybody's in favor of it. And, and finally, after you know years of trying to persuade him. Two weeks ago, President Obama also said he would. Uh, he's open to creating special health courts. Where is the American Association for Justice on that? They are uh, 180 degrees does not accurately <laughs> uh, portray <laughs> how much they hate this idea. I mean, they so have, when you say everybody's on board, you mean everybody within the, within well, the medical... With, with, with everyone involved in all of what I consider the legitimate interest in healthcare. So the largest consumer groups, AARP, the patient safety experts who are generally you know, associated with the left are on board as well as the providers and, and most editorial boards, you know, the New York Times, other, other sort of non-conservative editorial boards. So are you essentially advocating a return to the Jeffersonian ideal of letting the risk fall where it, where it lays? Not at all. Our, our system would actually, we think, compensate more people. One of the characteristics of the current system is that a lot of patients who are injured by mistakes can't even get a lawyer because the, cause this, the, the current litigation system is so inefficient. It takes five years on average for resolution. And so a lawyer won't even take a case unless it's worth you know, half a million dollars. So a lot of people who suffer real injury can't even get no recourse. Today, what happens is the injury stays where it lays. So our our system, we think, would compensate more people, but but because it would have the goal of affirmatively protecting doctors who did not make a mistake, we think it would begin to realign the incentives of doctors and patients together rather than looking at each other's adversaries. And 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 doctors make mistakes and. People who are injured by them should get compensated, and it shouldn't be some kind of great moral failing of doctors. You know, we all make mistakes. Uh, There should just be compensation, and that's the way they do it in other countries. It's not doctors don't feel like they've gone through some sort of, you know, litigation cataclysm. If they make a mistake, they feel badly, they say they're sorry, and they make sure that the patient gets compensated. Isn't really the problem with trying to reach some kind of a solution that we've just fractured ourselves into so many special interest groups that there's really no hope of a, of an ultimate uh, compromise or resolution? Well, that's currently the status quo, yes. I mean, Washington is... Uh, part of it's an agent's problem. Um, you know, the world's gotten so big and institutions are so big and, fra- as you said, fragmented in different categories that 
that the people who represent the category, you know, whether it's the AARP for the elderly or, you know, it could be anyone, you know, the business roundtable for corporations, they all think, the people who have those jobs think it's their job to cling as tightly as they can to whatever they view that helps them in current law. And if everybody would let go 20%, everyone would be better off. But no one in Washington will allow that to happen because they see their job as getting, you know, 100% for their, of, of, the, of the immediate goal. It's like a corporate, you know, whatever, people who run big companies have a problem in that the people in the middle will do um, anything to meet the metrics of the, of the corporation, even if that's bad for the company. It's like teachers teaching to the test because of No Child Left Behind, same phenomenon. So Washington's this horrible place of people who who nobody is acting like a principal. Nobody's acting on behalf of the common good. Everybody's kind of reaching at the carcass, grabbing what they can all the time. Where does the where does the broader civil justice system uh, play into that? I mean, your 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 most recent book is titled "Life Without Lawyers: Restoring Responsibility in America." Uh, what, what are you trying to suggest by that? Well, I'm actually not trying to get rid of lawyers, although I do think we have too many lawyers. That a number of lawyers in the proportion of lawyers in the workplace has more or less doubled in the last 30 years. Um, what I'm suggesting is that we need to get rid of law lawyers in people's daily lives. Is that is that teachers need to be able to focus on running the classroom, not worrying about whether they're going to get dragged into an administrative hearing, and the people who run playgrounds need to feel confident that um, if the seesaw and the jungle gym are in working order, that, that that's a good thing for children to be able to do, even if it involves the normal risks of childhood and doing that. Uh, and and so what I, one of the things I call for in Life Without Lawyers is I, is, is I call for rebuilding of authority structures that actually draw lines as a matter of law as to what's a reasonable risk and what isn't, for example and that actually restore the authority of teachers to maintain order in the classroom and have the teachers be accountable up the line, but not, you know, in a, at the whim of one angry parent. And so it's about rebuilding authority structures designed to restore the people's freedom to do their jobs. But how do you how do you make the distinctions between uh, the good lawyers do and the, and the bad lawyers do? I mean, for every you know frivolous, uh, uh, notorious uh, McDonald's hot coffee lawsuit that comes along, there there are the lawsuits that have made you know they, that have made playgrounds safer for children or automobiles sure. safer for for drivers. Uh, you know, how do you uh, encourage the 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 productive and positive lawsuits uh, and, and, and at the same and time? Others. discourage the others well one of the one of the points that I make, which is somewhat controversial um, although not in all circles, uh, is that judges should have much more of a role as gatekeepers drawing boundaries as a matter of law so i'm I'm advocating many more legal rulings so for example, let's say a child falls off the seesaw and, and is injured. Uh, there's no allegation that the seesaw is defective. It's just that it's unreasonably dangerous or there should have been supervision or, you know, one of those general claims. If if allowing that claim to go to a jury 
would affect the conduct of people not in the courtroom. That is to say, it might affect whether the Parks Department's willing to have a seesaw because they don't want to take the risk of, of you know, getting sued for a million dollars or something. Then what I argue is that there needs to be a ruling of law by the judge as to whether or not it's a reasonable risk. I don't, I don't really care which way the ruling of law comes down. There are some things that are probably unreasonably dangerous. That's fine. An enhanced summary judgment standard? Is that yeah, essentially yeah, what you're yeah. talking about? Much more summary judgment. And, and that ruling is in itself subject to appeal. But, but, but if you don't have a ruling of law so that, uh, let's say, nine out of ten juries might, might hold that it's, that it's a uh, reasonable risk, but one out of ten holds it's not, well, the effect of that is, to, is as if every jury said it was not legal, because nobody's going to take the risk of the million-dollar verdict. And so until you actually have someone on behalf of society acting as a traffic cop with red lights and green lights saying, this is reasonable, this is not, as a matter of law, everyone's going to ask, act in this incredibly risk-averse way, which has completely transformed the society. I mean, go to a playground. There's nothing of interest for a kid over the age of four in a playground. Um, teachers will not put an arm around a crying child. It's crazy. Cops are now called in and put handcuffs on kids because teachers don't feel they have the authority to grab onto their arms and restrain some kid who's out of control. It's, you know, it is, so when people lose trust in the system of justice because it doesn't affirmatively assert social norms as a matter of law, then everyone loses their freedom. And so what Life Without Lawyers is about is about how you both describe that in different contexts, schools, children's play, um, lawsuits, relations in the workplace. It, it, it talks about how you rebuild the boundaries to, uh, to restore a sense of trust by everyone that the system of justice is actually aligned with what most people consider to be reasonable social norms. Well, Philip, we have about 50, we have at least 50 different judicial systems. Each state has its own. I mean, granted, we've got one overarching federal system for federal stat, for sure. federal lawsuits, but there are, how, how are you proposing to do this on a, on the state level? Well, and, and you would, you would do it in the, in the common, in the way the common law is supposed to work. I mean, all you have to do is go back and read Benjamin Cardozo or Justice Holmes, and this is the way they said it should work. We just got into the habit of of thinking that the right to a jury trial meant that every mixed question of law and fact goes to the jury. And what I'm suggesting is if a mixed question of law and fact will affect the conduct of society as a whole, it actually has to be decided in the first instance with a legal ruling by a judge. And that's that's a big shift in current orthodoxy. But if you go back and read the history of common law, it's not a big shift, you know. And and you, we all know that judges are supposed to decide rulings of law and juries issues of fact in civil cases. And what I'm saying is that that balance got out of whack uh, in the last fifty years or so. So take us back to to Washington. Uh, if you will, and and uh, talk more about uh, 
what you've described is 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 a paralysis there, uh, and uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying that that you're not out to get rid of <laughs> lawyers, and and uh, in fact uh, you are one and, and work at a law firm. But what could the legal system be doing, if anything, to address this this paralysis? Well, I mean, um, let's just take take an example of uh, of of schools. This simple simple example. Um, uh, for the for all of the best of intentions, over the last fifty years, there's been an accretion of law uh, that tells people the subjects people a variety of legal penalties for how they run schools. So each of the following concepts has enormous has volumes of legal, you know, sort of interpretations and penalties and rules around them. No child left behind. Due process, special education, uh, zero tolerance, um, uh, work rules and tenure, which come from union contracts and from law, and, and a variety—you know—a a whole raft of safety uh, safety rules and regulations. So many rules that you cannot find anyone involved in education who can even point you to a place where you could find all the rules. There's just too much loss, just like sediment in the harbor. It's, you know, it's a grown up over the years. Um, uh, principles at big cities get get literally volumes of directives from the Central Board of Ed every year. You know, new regulations, new requirements. Well, nobody could keep up with it. And so let's go to a good charter school or parochial school or private school. What's what's their legal situation? Well, they basically have no law. They have a few principles about fairness and. Such they try to abide by. They have accountability mechanisms, but running a school is fundamentally not. It's not like, you know, it, it, take discipline. You're not sending the kid to jail. You're sending him home uh, if he misbehaves or whatever. So it's really important if we want to restore the conditions for creating a successful school, which includes not only academic achievement but, I, but more importantly, socialization. That that the people in the schools actually have the freedom to be spontaneous, to succeed or fail, and to have some accountability mechanism. Well, that involves, well, not to use too strong a word, bulldozing most of this law that's been built up and substituting simpler accountability mechanisms. That's something that, that's a legal change. How do you propose doing that? I mean, if, you, if you're going to go and cull laws from the books... Um, how are we going to accomplish such a task? I mean, it sounds monumental. Well, it is monumental. It's a little bit like pruning the jungle. If you have to, if you have to actually go into these tens of thousands of rules, that, you know that. Um, and so, what you have to do is build a new system that's simpler, and then pull the plug on the old one. So, one of the things that we've been talking to the head of the teachers' union, Randy Weingarten and Joel Klein, and uh, we've been working with Mitch Daniels out in Indiana, the governor of Indiana, on this. Is is coming up with a set of principles that will then be created, turned into protocols that will simply replace the rules for for school discipline. You know, it's just a it's just a much simpler replacement code. And one way of looking at this is to let public schools operate with the similar freedoms and accountability as charter schools. 
instead of just abandoning the public schools, let the people in them have a chance to make them work. Well, Philip, we need to take a short break. When we return, we're going to talk more about what lawyers can do to fix Washington and a host of other problems. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Uh, welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are discussing uh, paralysis in Washington with attorney Philip K. Howard, a well-known leader of legal reform in America and a founder of Common Good, a national bipartisan coalition organized to restore common sense to American life. And uh, we're talking about uh, the need to, to, to bulldoze uh, some of the existing structure out there. But I guess, Philip, I'm still having a hard time envisioning how you see getting that done. Are we talking about the need to uh, address this at the level of, of, of constitutional amendments, or is this something that you see achievable uh, in, uh, in less dr- drastic uh, means? Well, it, it could certainly be achieved in less drastic means. Uh, I mean, uh, if Congress or state legislatures saw their job as, as as having to make sure that old laws work as intended, then then they would be doing this work all the time. That would be part of their job. They just don't happen to see that as their job. I mean, the other day there was a report that five billion dollars of stimulus money had to weatherproof five hundred ninety thousand homes had not been spent even though it was supposed to be spent immediately, you know, when it was passed over a year ago. And the reason is because there was a law that was signed into law by President Hoover in 1931 that requires that the federal government set the wages for any contract uh, involving federal, any construction project involving uh, federal funding. So what's happened is that for the last year, hundreds of bureaucrats have been trying to fix the wages in 3,000 different construction localities in this country for weatherproofing, a law that was passed 80 years ago. This is crazy. 
why is that law on the books? You know, it's just, it's crazy. It serves no, it's, it makes central planning look efficient. Well, the, the books are filled with things like that. So it doesn't require a constitutional amendment. It does require legislatures to see their job as actually, uh, you know, making sense of all the law that's on the, you know, that's piled up. Again, at this point, it's like sediment in the harbor that's so dense that you can't get anywhere. Um, we're going to host a forum at the National Constitution Center in June on government paralysis. And uh, one of the issues there is whether it would be useful, I don't think it's required, to have a constitutional amendment. And the amendment would be directed at the obligation of Congress to to reauthorize one by one laws after a period of time. So they just don't go on forever. That you can have a debate about whether it's really reasonable to, uh, you know, have a central planning regime for wage setting and federal contracts, for example. Built-in sunshine, uh, sunset provision, rather. Uh... Yeah, 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 that's right. I mean, it's just, but, you know, you don't hear any, notwithstanding all this paralysis, you, you don't hear anybody talking about this. In Congress or in the state legislatures, yeah, the wouldn't the methodology problem. be simply to put, appoint a, a task force or a committee or some group to go in and, and find these laws and, and suggest their repeal? Yes. And so one of the things I suggest in Life Without Lawyers, I have a chapter on on government paralysis, uh, and I talk about the structural reasons why these changes never happen. And uh, one of the things I suggest is they, is they create base closing commissions to make recommendations along these lines. And I'm actually talking with uh, a couple of governments right now about running such commissions for them. Well, we've got just about uh, a few minutes left, and so what we'd like to do at this point is get your contact information along with your final thoughts. So um, can you wrap it up for us? Uh, Sure. Well, if they want more information, they could go to uh, commongood.org. My email, I think, is is phoward at commongood.org, my email for this purpose at least. And... um, uh, and I do, you know, go through this in, in Life Without Lawyers, which just the paperback just came out. Um, if, if people are really interested in it, and we're we're very uh, interested in mobilizing lawyers to to do projects uh, in either state, local, or federal government to take particular areas of law and go in and maybe using law students as interns run projects to actually uh, review and analyze how dense the law has become and to make recommendations on on pared-down ways of accomplishing the regulatory goal better. So that's one thing that we, we are going to start looking for legal help. And frankly, the legal community has been very supportive of, of what what we're talking about, notwithstanding the fact that I suppose the implication of it is long-term, there may be the need for fewer lawyers. Great. Well, thank you very much, Philip. Uh, That pretty much does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer for our listeners. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at the Legal Talk Network. And Bob, truly a very happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Well, uh, thank you, Craig, and thank you again to our guest. And just uh, another reminder to our listeners that uh, the website for that organization is at commongood.org. And uh, also, uh, we'd like to remind our listeners that uh, all of our uh, 
programs are now available in addition to the Legal Talk Network at the West Legal Ed Center, where uh, people can get uh, CLE credit for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer and all of the Legal Talk Network programs. Well, and I guess, Bob, given that it's St. Patrick's Day, we should send our listeners off with a, an old Irish blessing. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face and rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.